This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. All right, good morning. So we're the, uh, we're the Duckett family. I'm uh, Ben, this is Jonathan, Ellie, and Christopher. Uh, unfortunately, my wife Gina has bronchitis, so we're missing her this morning. Uh, but nevertheless, we are very excited uh, to be able to kick off uh, the celebration of the Advent season uh, with you this morning. Uh, it's the first week of Advent. Uh, the theme is hope. Uh, so we have a couple of uh, scriptures that we're going to share with you. The first verse I'll be reading today is Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Thou shalt come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist in faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Luke 2, 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So I had the, uh, the privilege yesterday of attending a uh, memorial service uh, for my best friend's father. And it, it was a wonderful testimony of a, of a godly man. And as is so often the case uh, when we're celebrating the life of a believer, uh, the, the theme of that service yesterday was hope. Um, and we see uh, time and time again, right, the Bible talks about the hope that we have as believers. And, and the hope that we have is always, always uh, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we, we, we know that if our hope is placed in anything else, uh, eventually it is going to let us down, right? Uh, but if our hope is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then, then we have uh, what the writer of Hebrews talks about, uh, a hope that is sure and it is steadfast. It, it's an anchor uh, for the soul. Um, and so as we, as we think about uh, celebrating the Advent season this, this first week, uh, you know, uh, the, the theme of hope, um, you know, we're celebrating, obviously, we're celebrating the, the coming, the arrival uh, of the Messiah and the promises uh, that, that God fulfilled uh, through him. So the, the passage uh, in Isaiah uh, that Ellie read, the passage that, that Vic read uh, this morning um, to uh, lead us into our, our time of worship in, in song, um, you know, those are promises that God made through prophets in the Old Testament, promising that a Messiah would come, right? And we see, um, you know, in the uh, Advent uh, the first advent, we see that promise fulfilled, right? And so that, that's the reason why, you know, we celebrate the hope that we have as believers because as, as we sing one of the, you know, favorite songs that, that we sing is about God being a God that is a promise 
making God and is he promise keeping God, right? So we know that he is going to finish the work that he started. So we're celebrating uh, this morning uh, the hope, um, you know, that we have through Jesus Christ, not just because of the first advent, but also because we look ahead and know uh, that he is coming again, right? Our hope is, is based in the fact that we know that he is returning again. He's going to return uh, as the great shepherd uh, for his sheep. Uh, and we know that we can be confident uh, in that uh, because we have a God that has kept all the promises uh, that he has ever made. Uh, and so we know that he will continue to do that for us. And so that's what we celebrate this morning here as we light this first Advent candle. Today's sermon text is Genesis 3, 14, and 15. If you go ahead and flip there. All right, in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Duckets. And it, you notice anything different in here? Does it look nice? Well, we have Deborah Cobb and uh, Heather Hilton and Daniel Garcia to thank for that. So let's give them a hand. It's beautiful. So after some last-minute Christmas shopping, Grandma, who was out with her little four-year-old and two-year-old grandchildren, rushing them into the car, four-year-old Jason said, uh, Grandma Susie has something in her pocket. And he reached in and pulled out a brand-new red hair, hair clip. Grandma was tired, but she knew that they had to go back in, and Susie had to put that hair clip back where she got it from. And so they did that, and then they went to the grocery store. And when they were checking out, the grocery clerk said, Hey, have you kids been good? You know, it's almost Christmas. Jason said, well, I've been good, but my sister just robbed a store. <laughs> what a miracle Christmas is for us because God came to us not because we've been good. How many have been good this year? Uh, that would be none of us, right? There's none good, none except Christ. Not because we not, we've been good, but because precisely because we haven't been good and we needed someone to come and save us. C.S. Lewis wrote, the Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. How do we understand the gift? Martin Luther said the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. And it is. But I would like to, for us to draw closer, a little bit closer today and next week, to an understanding of God's perfect plan for the incarnation. So we want to look from a God's eye view. What does Scripture tell us? How does Scripture enable us to understand a little bit about the plan of incarnation and what that's all about as we, we are celebrating the first advent, the first coming of Christ. So let's look at three prophecies today. We'll stay in Genesis. And then next week we will look at, Lord willing, uh, three more about the coming of the Christ. And this was requested. Someone requested that we look back so that we can look forward to the advent. So first promise we see, and, and Matt just read this, that God would send the Messiah who would emerge victorious. One of the consequences between, uh, of sin is that there will be a, a perpetual struggle between good and evil. And it's not going to end, as we know from Scripture, until Jesus comes back and once and for all does away with evil and with Satan. 
You know, when we studied Genesis last year, remember we talked about what was called the Proto-Evangelium, which means first good news or first gospel. And that's why we see here in Genesis 3, uh, 3, 14 and 15, the Lord saying to the serpent, he, he's talking about Jesus, the offspring of the woman, he's talking about Jesus, he will bruise your uh, your head and you will bruise his heel. Some versions, I think, make it a little bit clearer there that because bruise and bruise, it sounds like it's an equal swap, right? But, but some say they will, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And that's more accurate as to the understanding of what takes place, right? The imagery of a man and, of a, man and a snake, and the snake s- strikes at the man's heel, and the man comes down with his steel-toed shoe and crushes that serpent's head. See, God's, God allowed Satan to inflict temporary pain and death on Jesus, a brutal crucifixion that we can't even begin to understand, three days in a tomb. But at the same time, on that same cross where Jesus suffered temporary pain, he inflicted permanent, a permanent blow to Satan and his kingdom. He destroyed the kingdom. Now, Paul wrote that through Jesus' death, God canceled the debt that we owed because of sin. And he says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That song, that hymn we sing, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. So that was the plan, but when did that plan come into being, right? From our study in 1 Peter, we know that this plan was announced by God in the garden, but it started long before the garden. In fact, the plan of God was in place before time. Before time had been created, Peter wrote this. This is in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. You can write that down if you'd like. But he says, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious Blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, here's the key. He, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In other words, saints, Christmas started in heaven. Before the earth was hung in the sky. In fact, before there was a sky. There was no sky for the earth to be hung in. And before that, in heaven, before time... God came up with this plan that the triune God said, this is what we will do. And they didn't have to come up with it. They had to say, all right, what are, we, what are we going to do about this? Let's talk about this. What do you think, Jesus? Spirit, what do you think? They knew the plan from eternity. In fact, Jesus confirmed this in his parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember in Matthew 25, he's talking about the sheep will be, will be welcomed into heaven and, and, and the goats will be separated from, from God for eternity. And Jesus said this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is teaching to people who don't understand yet about the kingdom, but he's saying this is what the kingdom is like. And and God has prepared this kingdom, and he's prepared you for this kingdom Before the foundation of the world, you are here now and you're standing on this earth God created, but but that was this 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 happened before the creation. He created you for that purpose. You know, the preparations for a fox daughter outdoor wedding next June have only just begun. And believe me, they will be extensive, and there's a lot to do, and a lot of variables like will it rain? 
And how many people are going to actually show up? And how much food are we going to need? Really? Waffles and eggs and bacon? How are we going to do that? But we who are weak can trust in our infinite and almighty God to help us prepare for that blessed event. I mean, how hard can it be for God? Because think about this. He made preparations for the great and final wedding and everything that's going to take place there and after that before the earth even existed, before the first man and woman was created. God had a plan in place for that wedding we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to next June, absolutely. But we are all created for that wedding, for that blessed union. And God has it all taken care of. So we know from Genesis 3 that God would send a human Messiah. God was not going to send any other kind of, you know, sacrifice. The old saying, you know, if God, if we needed knowledge, God would have sent a teacher. If we needed money, God would have sent Ben or an accountant. And, you know, we needed a Savior. And God knew he could only send a Savior in human form. He had to be human to save us from our sins. Not only that, God would send this Savior from Israel. Remember when we were in Genesis 12? And I think Brent preached on this. But Abraham was given this incredible promise that Abraham didn't even begin to understand the implications of. God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, Abraham, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how is that possible? Abraham didn't live long enough to bless all the families of the earth, right? He didn't even bless all the families of the people who lived on the earth at his time. He didn't know most of them. What is that all about? What is God saying here? This is an incredible promise. And we know that, that the, the father of the people of God, the nation of Israel, we know Father Abraham that he would be the one from whom the seed of the woman that Genesis 3 talks about would come. Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. That God's blessing on Abraham would result in all the families of the earth being blessed through Jesus. He's our only hope, as Ben just referenced. Remember when Peter, in Acts chapter 3, healed the lame beggar? Lame beggar... Uh, had been lame from birth, and apparently he'd been sitting here at the temple gate for years. Everybody knew him. People walked past him, and he was begging. And, and Peter said, look at me. And he said, I, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the people were amazed. They were astounded. They, they, they were beside themselves because they saw with their own eyes. This man that they knew was lame, this wasn't one of those fake kind of evangelist things where somebody that looked like he was lame, you know, suddenly healed. This was, this was a real event. And, and this man was leaping for joy. And they were amazed. And Peter asked the men of Israel why they wondered at it. Why, why are you wondering at this? And listen to what he said. He said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. 
And Peter then takes him back to Abraham, and he says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then Peter says, God, having raised up his servant, talking about Jesus, send him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from wickedness. Jesus was sent to you first, Peter said. Jesus did this. This man is healed because of Jesus. And Jesus was sent to you, and you killed the author of life. John wrote in his prologue, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And most of them still have not received him. Not just the Jews. Most of the world has not received Christ. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate. And few there are, Jesus said, who find it. We must find those few. We must preach to everyone that the few come in and hear the call and come in and believe. And that's what we do when we pray. So we learn from Genesis 3 that Jesus or the, that God would send the, the seed of, his, of a woman. We learn that that seed, that man, would come uh, from the people of Israel. And then we learn that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. If you want to turn to Genesis 49, I want to show you a couple of verses. Just to remind you, we talked about this a few months back when we were in Genesis 49. But remember, Jacob is on his deathbed, and this is his last last event. This is his last hurrah. And what he's going to do, as many patriarchs in, the, in that day did and, and, and still do in some ways if we are able, is we, we bless our children. I encourage you to bless your children often. Give them a blessing, not just on your deathbed, but give them a blessing throughout the year. One of the things that I do is write a, a birthday letter to each of my children, even though they're all grown and gone now, write them a letter on the day of their birthday and give it to them. And it just Here's some things I've seen this year that, that you're doing, that God's doing in you that I really appreciate. Here's some things I'm praying for you for, for next year. So I'm, I'm speaking a blessing. And they, Jacob speaks a blessing over his 12 sons. And from Judah, he says, the scepter shall not depart. In other words, he's prophesying, and he doesn't understand this. He's prophesying that the, that the king would come from Judah. And, of course, we know that that prophecy did take place in the person of David. David the king, the first king of Israel, came from the tribe of Judah. David was born in Bethlehem, just as the Son of God would be born in Bethlehem. And the, key, the people would have their earthly king through Judah's ancestor David and those who followed him until a king was no longer wanted or no longer needed. But what is Jacob really prophesying here? We know it now. He didn't know it then. He was prophesying that from you, Judah, will come not just the king of Israel, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The people at the, be uh, the Feast of Booths in chapter 7, I'll come back to Genesis 49 in a minute. But the people at the Feast of Booths, and this is in not Acts, John chapter 7 Jesus, on the last day of the feast, showed up, and then he stands in front of everyone and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
right? And then he says, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So that started a debate, a debate among the people. And some people were saying, you know, what is this? Is, this? is this the one who's been prophesied? Is this the one who's to come? And they say, well, this man's from Galilee, right? What, what good could come out of Galilee? This man can't make such a bold claim. And then some replied, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Now, were they supporting Jesus there? Were they saying, this, this must be the guy? What was Jesus known as? Jesus of Nazareth. This guy was a Nazarene. They didn't understand about his birth in Bethlehem. All they knew was that he came from Nazareth. When he started his ministry and he was 30 years old, he was in Nazareth. Right? And so they're, they're debating how could this man possibly be the Savior. Well, God did not just tell us through Jacob, back to Genesis 49, that the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah. God also prophesied through Jacob about the death of the Messiah and the blood that would be necessary to satisfy God's wrath. Look again at Genesis 49 and where he says to Judah, he says, Judah... um, where am I looking? Here we go. The, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. That's about the king until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Look at verse 11. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. This prophecy over Judah goes beyond David, it goes to Jesus in the time of his ministry here on the earth, and then it goes even beyond that to his return. We'll look at that in a minute. But the language here used reminds us of the first miracle Jesus performed at at Cana. Remember, this was his first miracle. John chapter 5, they'd run out of wine, and his mother comes to him and asks him to do something about it. They've run out of wine. And Jesus said to her, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Yet out of love for his mother and and probably out of respect for the wedding party to save them from disgrace, he turned more than 120 gallons of water into wine. The best wine that those people had ever tasted, they said. Where did this wine come from? Usually they, they, they save the, you know, the worst wine for the end, not for the beginning. But the finest wine ever. What happened when his hour did come? We see Jesus, reference verse 11 again, riding a donkey's colt into Jerusalem. We see Jesus washing his garments, if you will, in the wine of his blood, as Jacob prophesies here. We see Jesus become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the, for future, the future return, look at verse 12. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. That's describing the age that will never end to be marked by abundance and joy and peace and the glory of God. So in that one prophecy, Jacob spoke over his son Judah. And we know Judah was not, he was a sketchy guy. Remember when we went through Genesis and Judah was not a prince of men. He had some character issues, big time, just like all of the brothers did. And Jacob himself did, and just like we all do. But Jacob speaks over his son Judah, from you will come the one who will be the the king of kings. The one who will take take the sins of, of the world upon himself. And the one who will bring peace to the whole world when he returns. Again, Jacob didn't understand this. 
And we see it, though, clearly as we know the whole story. Let me close with a couple of uh, just quotes here. James Allen Francis wrote this in 1926. It was part of a sermon. And just, I, I like to read this every, every Christmas because it reminds me of Jesus' humility and his gentleness. Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of those things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying. His coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. He said 19, I'll say 20. 20 wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. And then Francis went on to say, I am not beyond or far beyond, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that ever were built and all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. That's the humility and the majesty of Christ. This quote speaks to his love for us. Luther Vanderzee, Leonard Vanderzee wrote, God, our divine parent, with daring and dangerous abandon, bared his heart at Bethlehem. He does not wish to be God without us, so he becomes God with us. He comes down from the far reaches of eternity to become an infant. In that infant, born of poor people in a stable, God comes to the earth and says, I love you. How utterly appropriate, I think, it is that we celebrate communion today, and we will again on Christmas Eve morning. But where this is where that vulnerable love is made more real, where it touches our hearts more than anywhere else than at the communion table. The baby laid in the manger was nailed to a cross. The God who laid himself in Mary's lap placed himself in the hands of Pontius Pilate. And he comes to us this morning in the bread and the cup. He invites us to eat and drink that vulnerable love, receiving his loving self-sacrifice into our hearts. Before I pray and before we take communion, just remind you that salvation is a free gift but it must be received by faith. And if there's anyone here today who is not a believer, you've seen the prophecies, you've heard the story of Jesus, you know that he came and died, perfect sacrifice, without spot, without blemish. He even said, if anyone has anything to bring against me, do it. Can you imagine standing up and doing that among your family or your friends? Hey, has anybody got anything that you think I've ever done wrong? Go ahead and say it. We wouldn't say that. This, the list would never end. Right? You want it alphabetically or chronologically, Mark? But Jesus did that because he was perfect and spotless, and he died in our place who, is, who are anything but good and spotless. So I encourage you today to believe on Jesus.
Salvation simply takes place when you say, Lord, I, I, you acknowledge that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself absolutely without hope except for the sovereign mercy and grace of God. And Lord, I need you. Would you save me? Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me? So that today's my last day or 50 years from now is my last day. I know where I will spend eternity. I'll be with you. If you're walking with the Lord, I encourage you to take communion. If you're not walking with the Lord, even though you say, well, I'm a Christian, but you're not walking with him, I encourage you not to take communion. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11. Do not drink condemnation unto yourself, but examine yourself before you come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for Christmas. We look forward to it every year because of all the fun things that we do with family and the food that we eat and the presents that we exchange, but it's all because of you. Lord, we, we, we are reminded this morning and we want to be reminded this whole month that Christmas is your story. It's the beginning of our salvation when you left glory and took up the, the, the person of a human being and, and lived as a human on the earth and wept and, and had pain and, and difficulty and suffered in ways that we can't even imagine. And Lord, we are thankful this morning that we are part of the plan that was put into place before the earth was ever hung in the sky. That you chose us, you created us with Christ in mind with us in mind for Christ. So Lord, as we take communion this morning, remind us of how much you love us and remind us of how much we need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.